if you add value to people, you win. Like at the end of the day, like if I'm adding value, which makes me, I'm putting somebody else in a place of honor because I'm saying in this interaction, I want them to get better. And I want them to be the hero in this, in this engagement here. Then I win out of that. And it's actually very self-serving, but it's not selfish, right? It, it, it actually fuels your, your currency with people and your career and anything you're trying to do in life. Welcome to What's Next with Eric Wood, where we will prepare you to make your what's next in life your best yet. Our next guest is Brad Lomanick. Brad is a leadership consultant, speaker, and author of the books, The Catalyst Leader and H3 Leadership. Brad has led mega conferences that have had speakers like John Maxwell, Peyton Manning, Tony Dungy, and Malcolm Gladwell. Brad has an incredible podcast called H3 Leadership that I was recently a guest on, so check that out. Brad's a new friend of mine, and I'm excited for you to hear us unpack lessons in leadership, finding your calling in life, and also you'll learn how to truly connect with others from one of the best connectors on the planet. If you enjoy this podcast, please rate, review, and subscribe to help spread the impact we hope to have. Thanks to everyone that has shared the podcast with friends and sharing on social media. It's because of you that our listener numbers are growing like crazy, and I'm incredibly grateful for you. Enjoy. Brad, welcome to the show, brother. Man, it's so good to be with you, Eric. Honored to be on. Yeah. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a listener, so now to be part of the conversation, it feels uh, fun to be on this side of the, of the mic. Well, it's an honor to have you on. And after we got to meet in person about three weeks ago, I knew I wanted you to have, on as, have you on as a guest. I was very familiar with your work prior. And after getting to meet you in person and seeing what type of guy you are, no doubt someone I wanted to line up as quickly as we could. So I'm glad we were able to make this work. But let me introduce you to the audience. So you're originally from Oklahoma, but what yep. type of athlete were you growing up? Well, my dad was a high school football coach. And so, so was your grandpa. My grandfather, yeah. I mean, I came from a probably even another generation before that that was probably in some kind of, you know, school sports. So it was part of the culture for me. Uh, so when you grow up in a small town, about 5,000 people outside of Tulsa. If you're somewhat of an athlete, even average, you're going to play every sport. So, you know, I was playing football at third grade. I was playing basketball in third grade, soccer. Um, golf was probably my best sport, Eric. Um, I, I remember, you know, this might be helpful for some, some of your listeners, but I remember in ninth grade, I was pretty good. I mean, I was playing some of the junior PGA stuff in Oklahoma and really felt like there might be a potential. And my dad, who was a, you know, my football coach and also my father, he said, he said, Hey, do you want to, at this point in your career, you know, in high school, you're a freshman, do you want to, you want to focus on golf or do you want to be able to feel like you can play all sports and really enjoy all them? And he allowed me to make that decision. And I, I'm glad that I played all sports. Good. You know, I was, I was okay at golf. I mean, I was above average at golf, but having the ability to play football, play basketball, be a captain on those teams, actually like be part of a team was so helpful in terms of, of just, I think the development of me as a leader. Yeah, absolutely. And most of the guests, even the guys that were number one overall draft picks that we've had on the show, hall of famers, 
generally all played multiple sports growing up. Now, golf is one of those sports where generally you have to go all in on that sport early. Yeah. I believe Dustin Johnson might have been like a well-rounded athlete, which it, it looks like it too. Um, I got to spend some time with his brother-in-law, the Gretzky. Uh, it's yeah. uh, Trevor Gretzky recently. And he was saying what just a phenomenal athlete Dustin is, but what kind of golfer are you still now? Well, I can go out and shoot pretty, pretty low. I mean, I, I play probably three times a year and I can shoot either 75 or I can shoot 90 depending on sort of where we're playing and the mindset. Uh, I'm, I'm really good at client golf, you know, cause I'm good enough that I can, I can test and sort of challenge if, if they want to get competitive but I'm also, uh, you know, pretty self-aware. And so I can, you know, I can, I can go birdie birdie and then double just to make that client feel really good about themselves for that, for that one hole. Right. Well, I can do the exact same thing and I play golf much more than three times a year at this point <laughs> in my life. So don't feel too bad about that. And, and I will say for those listening, I've always heard that the businessman score is a 90 that shows that it. you can play with people, but you're not wasting your time on a golf course. And so I've always heard that that's the businessman score. Listen, and you can tell, you know, this, you can tell a lot about somebody on a golf course. Yes. You know, the, 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 the person who is, who is just so intense and so frustrated and mad at every shot. And you look at them and go, you're awful. Like just own it. You're terrible. You don't need to take 10 minutes and you don't need to ask me why you slice to the right. It's because you're just really bad. And I remember playing with John Maxwell, who I worked with for a bunch of years and John, John had, you know, like two rules on the golf course. One is play fast and two is play fast. Right. And if you're slow and you're bad, then you're like doubly bad. So that this is my theory, you know, is have fun, enjoy it. Don't, don't, don't think about it too much and just play fast. You know, like we don't need to grind over the four footers on every single hole, like just pick up, pick it up and let's go to the next hole. I'm so competitive that it's hard for me to do that sometimes. But and my wife will say, man, you got so mad on the golf course today. Or I told her I got really mad. And I'll say, but for me at this point in my life, like that's where I compete. And yes. so for me, I like getting upset in those situations. And yes, I wish <laughs> I was playing better, but like at least my heart rate got up. At least I was mad about something. At least I was competing at something. And I got ticked off a little bit, but I understand what you're saying. Exactly there. I got to play uh, football with the Bills with Nick O'Leary, Jack Nicholas's grandson. And I was playing yeah. golf with Nick one time and Nick told me someone got mad. I'm going to say it wasn't me, but someone had gotten mad. And Nick said, you know what my grandpa would tell you? You're not good enough to be mad. Exactly. And, and yeah. I guess, I guess and, and Nick had been told that as a kid from Jack, like, look, you're a football player. Right. You don't, you don't train like we do. So don't expect to hit shots like we do. And now Nick can put some pretty impressive scores out there, but Definitely not Jack Nicholas. the fact that he's not playing on the tour. But you mentioned that you know and worked with John Maxwell for a long yeah. time. And from my understanding, you met at a ranch and that developed a relationship and then it became a working relationship. And to me, I mean, John is it in leadership training. I've read his books. I've just listened to his podcast. I've listened to appearances he's on. For me, I just can't get enough of the guy. And he just seems like an absolute 10 out of 10 from talking to people. He's just an all around great person. What are a couple yeah. of your top takeaways from your time spent with one of the most influential people of all time? Oh, he's the grand poobah. You know, I mean, when you look at the leadership uh, mountain, you know, or the whatever you want to say about leadership, especially in the last 50 years, arguably, 
perhaps no greater voice. Um, you know, there's a top five list and John's always on it. Uh, he's, he's, you know, he's sold hundred million books almost. And, um, he's written a hundred books. I, I think the lessons for me from John, Eric, working for him and working with him. One is that uh, he's, he's always curious. And when John walks in the room, he doesn't suck the oxygen out because he's sort of like the man and he wants everybody to pay attention to him. He always walks in with the posture of learning mm. and everybody's there to like hear him say something, but he always will turn the dial or turn the tables and, and honor somebody in the room by asking them a really good question. And I just love that about the, the best leaders are always the ones who, who walk in with the posture of, of curiosity compared to a posture of perhaps that I have the answer, right. even though he does. Right. I mean, I would watch him at, at events. He still does. John still does this. He's speaking at a conference and he's done. He'll, he, you know, he'll go sit in the front row or somewhere and he'll get his yellow pad out. And he's got the, you know, he's, he, he always rocked the four colored pen. I think he probably still does. He, he barely, you know, he can use an iPhone and he doesn't really use computer, but that four color pen, he would always have that. And, you know, that was the way he took notes and he would be sitting in the front row and taking notes on his yellow pad. Half the time, the person after him was doing his stuff. Right. And, and we're looking at John, like, John, why are you writing that down? I mean, he's like, you know, that person's stealing your content. He just look at us and go, oh, it's good. It's good. You know, it's good. So just the posture of curiosity is such a, a lesson for me. I think the other thing is he's a celebrator mm. of people. And, you know, when, when you start, when you start getting into the, the higher levels of leadership and you're running things, you, you, you tend to forget about, about stopping and celebrating the small wins. And I think that's what I learned from John. Like we would, you know, we, he always, he always would allow us to, even on a tour, you know, a book tour, we'd go to the best restaurant and order it. Even if we had to get on the plane and we'd celebrate on the plane, you know, like he just had the spirit of, of, um, not just helping people see that, that we are actually winning, but actually making sure that we took the time to celebrate, not just the big things, you know? So it's the small things still that over a course of, of several days or weeks or months that we would, um, we would still be able to look back and go, man, I remember when, when we just stopped and said, Hey, wasn't that a great tour stop tonight with 500 people? You know, I know tomorrow night we're going to a big arena with 5,000, but let's celebrate the fact that 500 people, we got to impact them this evening. So those would be two things that stand out. And those are two excellent things. I hope everyone took note of those and always being curious. That's, that's a posture of humility as well. I've heard you talk about yeah. before the best leaders have a great blend, a perfect blend of humility and confidence. The confidence to say, look, I can impact people. I've been given certain gifts and I'm going to use them. But then the humility to say, look, I'm going to constantly be learning. And I also think that when you celebrate other people, that's a posture of humility as well, saying that others are doing great things as well. And, and I truly believe that the, that the power of recognizing others is one of the greatest powers, the greatest tools that you can use as a leader is recognizing others, making others feel special in those moments. And you never know what those words can do for someone. I tell the story often on the podcast and David Novak, the former CEO of Young Brands told it yeah. up here and I'll make it quick because the listeners may be tired of hearing it over the years, but David Novak gifted um, a KFC employee, an employee of the month. It was a rubber chicken. 
And David gets a call one day randomly from a number he didn't know, but in an area code, he probably should. And so he answers it. And it was that gentleman's wife. And she wanted to let David know that her husband had passed, but he let her know before he passed that he wanted to be buried with the rubber chicken because that made him feel so incredibly special when David flew in to make this presentation. That took, that took incredible intentionality from David, but not a lot of sacrifice, not a lot of time or money, but the impact that they had had on his life. And, and I love that John does the same things and recognizing. And seeing people too, Eric, like that's what John, I, I, you know, his ability to like make somebody feel like they are the most important person in the room at that point. And I mean, even in book signing lines and somebody walks up and, Hey, I'm, I'm Ted and you've changed my life, John. And, and, you know, he's, he's, there's a hundred people in the line and it's like, okay, Ted, let's go, buddy, move it on. And, and then, and John's like, Hey, Ted, thank you for saying that, you know, really appreciate it. Well, an hour later, Ted comes back and finds John somewhere else, you know, in the lobby or whoever. And John says, Hey, Ted, how's it going? And Ted's mind is blown because he's like, how did you remember my name in the midst of hundreds of people? But that right there, you know, like that's a mile marker in the life journey of Ted. And just the intentionality, I think for, again, I learned this from John, like be intentional with people because you might make their day. It it doesn't seem big to you, but it does seem big to them. And I, I mean, I'm trying to live that out and I'm no big deal, but you know, when you start to have influence, this is the way we have to treat people who we have influence with is we have to see them like they're the most important thing in front of us because they are. Well, you do make people feel that way. I will, I'll I'll honor you in that way. And I'm not just saying that that's something that I noticed immediately from you when we got to spend our time together, even beforehand in email exchanges, you made me someone who was coming to this 40 under 40 of Christian leaders who felt really out of place and what the heck am I even being invited for? (laughs) You made me feel like, man, we got to get you there. And I said, man, I'm that last day, I think I'm going to have to leave a little bit early. Is that an issue? And said, no, we'll make it work. No worries at all. And, you know, you make people feel that way. And, and I want to honor you in that way. And I well, thank heard, you. Yeah. And I've heard you describe your calling as an influence, an influencer of influencers. And yeah. I, and I understand that's to make a greater impact for the kingdom and in the marketplace as well, because you are empowering people to be successful in their careers as well, even outside of the church. But how does, because I want to know this. So as connected as you are, you've held these incredible events and from everyone from Peyton Manning to Tony Dungy to John Maxwell to one of my favorite authors, Malcolm Gladwell, all these people, someone is as connected as you that could have the stage and the spotlight yourself. How do you humble yourself to take the back seat to truly just want to elevate others at this point of your life? It's a great question. I, th- I think it does come back to, to calling and, and purpose. And for, first of all, I know that as a communicator and as a teacher or an inspirer of, of people in a room, thousands of folks, um, I'm not the, that's, that's not like my A team. I'm not a pro bowler at that. I mean, I, I might be, you know, I might be a good college player, right? But, I, but that's not my sweet spot. My sweet spot is standing sort of stage right or, or side stage or behind the stage and actually curating, producing, connecting and, and aggregating to allow other people to, to stand on the platform that I've built. So I'm very comfortable in 
content in that sense of calling, but I wasn't early on. Cause I, I mean, like all of us where we walk in insecure, we walk in trying to figure out, well, what is my best gift? And, um, so I, now I'm, now I'm self-aware, Eric, and I'm still working on it. You know, even in my late forties, I'm still working on it, but I think the best leaders, they, 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 they get more humble and they get more confident because they become more self-aware. And, you know, you've, you've been around, we've all been around leaders who walk in the room and they're so insecure that all they think about is I got to get people to notice me mm. and I've got to make sure they realize, they know that I'm a big deal. And I've got to make sure that they know that I'm the best at this thing. And so, um, it's, it's two parts to your question. It's, it's understanding the way I'm wired and the way God's put me together and now f- being really dialed in on that. But two, it's also then figuring out, well, what's the best expression of that? And so I know that again, I'm a, I'm a connector, I'm a curator. Um, I'm really good though. You put me in a room with 20 or 30 leaders or 50 leaders or a hundred leaders for that matter. And facilitate a conversation, you know, do some development, actually like interaction. Let's, let's talk about this. Let's create roundtable discussion, a full day of that. Like I'm really good at that. So, and, and I know that, you know, so I'm really comfortable then to be able to navigate the, the opportunities because I know what I'm best at. And I'm not trying to like figure out then, well, what can people, you know, what are, what are, what are people going to say yes to me, me doing? And early in my career though, I think this is true for all of us. I was still navigating that. So I would say for anybody early in your journey and you go, Brad, I'm, I'm not even sure what I'm best at. Well, you got to get really clear on that. And, and best meaning that you're both wired for it, that there's a God DNA in you, God in, infused DNA, but also you're, you actually have some passion for it. You know, it, it, it excites you, but then also that it's part of, if, if you, you know, if you're a believer, that it actually is part of God's story for your life. And when you bring those three things together, man, that's when it really gets fun. Yeah. And I've, I've witnessed you in those settings and you are very good at facilitating that type of event where everybody leaves and there's 40 people, but everybody feels like they made a new friend, which you said, Hey, if you only meet one new friend here at, at the ranch, then yes, that was, a, yeah. that was a win this week. Now I would argue that most made more than one friend or more than one connection was able to find some clarity or, some further development within their profession. Um, but I've seen you in those moments and that's incredible self-awareness on your end to say, Hey, look, John Maxwell may have poured into me and John Maxwell is the best of the best on stage, but that, that's not where I'm most gifted. And in your book, yeah. humble, hungry hustle, self-awareness is one of the first things you mentioned under being humble. It's being self-aware and understanding where you're truly gifted. And and one of the ways you are truly gifted is being a connector of people, which is an interesting thing because so many people out there nowadays want to be connected. And they, a lot of people want to be connected for more sales or more followers or whatever it may be. I feel like you truly enjoy the relationships and maybe that's why you are so connected but for someone looking for general genuine connection out there maybe with someone they feel like could really influence them what advice would you have for someone just looking to make the right connections in their life such a great question and a really big thing that we have to navigate well and by the way i would say nothing wrong with the word network or networker um but but i like that i like the idea of a connector right better than i do a networker and a networker, you know, is the, is, is sometimes that person that we're trying to avoid. 
Right. The, the person that calls us and we're like, ah, I can't talk to them. Uh, the person that you see in the green room or in the backstage area and you're like, okay, let's go in the other room. Compared to a connector, when they walk into that same room, people come up to them and they want to be around them. They, the connectors add value. And this is a John Maxwell thing that I learned from John too. If you add value to people, you win. Like at the mm-hmm. end of the day, like if I'm adding value, which makes me, I'm putting somebody else in a place of honor because I'm saying in this interaction, I want them to get better. And I want them to be the hero in this, in this engagement here. Then I win out of that. And it's actually very self-serving, but it's not selfish, right? That it, it actually fuels your, your currency with people and your career and anything you're trying to do in life. Um, and so that the power of that connection is that, man, when I put, when I put Eric in touch with somebody else, that now they're going to have a conversation and you know, you're going to, you're going to, there might be a business opportunity out of that. Well, I don't have to get the win on that one. Um, but you know what, like enough of those over time, I promise you that when you mirror something, it will be returned to you. And you know, this is like, this is even biblical, this idea that, that what, what we do for others, you know, in many times will come back to us. And so, just the power of seeing other people as a center of the story, as a connector. And I know this, that, you know, Jim Collins says it this way, Eric, like when you talk, when he talks about the hedgehog principle um, and when he talks about the flywheel and good to great, which if, if anybody hadn't read the book, good to great, you need to, but he, he says his economic engine runs off of curiosity and everything. If, if he's curious at, at the, the, the flywheel for him, his flywheel turns because of his curiosity, which turns into research. It turns into him writing books. It turns into him, you know, being a thought leader, one of the great thought leaders on management of the last 50 years. Well, my, my engine, it, it runs, my economic engine and my flywheel runs off of connection. The more I connect people, the more I, it actually gives me opportunities to do what I'm great at and what fuels me and what actually like allows me to live out my calling. So that's why it's so important to me because without it, like my engine dries up, the oil is out and you know, it's going to break down. That's a, that's a great answer. And I, I loved how you put all of that in, in, in mentioning that you, you make them the hero, similar to some you maybe learned from John, you make them the hero so that they feel good about this interaction. And then that becomes a relationship and it may be reaching out via social media in honoring them with some compliments about a podcast, or maybe not even just a post, showing that you went that little extra mile, which you're great at doing, and then you see what comes from there. You mentioned it's biblical, and it's a generous person yeah. prosper. He who refreshes others will be refreshed. We yeah, it's your it's your verse, man. It's your family's verse, buddy. Exactly. Yeah, who, exactly. He who refreshes will be refreshed. And by the way, don't there's a there's a real there's a real fine line between. I'm connecting and I'm adding value and I'm, I'm for somebody else and I'm a brown noser mm. or I'm, I, I'm really like, I'm out to get something for me. And we all can see it though. Like our radars are so up for that, especially the higher level of an influencer. It, you, you know, you've been around those folks in a room and you know, like, okay, there's an ass coming at some point. So, right. and if there is an ask, by the way, as a connector, if there is an ask, be really clear with that. Don't beat around the bush. Don't, don't all shucks it. Don't, 
you know, sort of sideswipe it. Like, just be clear because people want they. It, if you, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta be really intentional and direct if you are needing something from somebody. But as Gary V and many other people, this this idea of you know jab, 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 right hook, right? The like yeah. add value, add value, add value, add value, add value, add value, and then maybe ask for something in return, right? But you don't you don't come in with the right hook um, first. You you yeah. gotta show that you're for that person. And when you come in with that right hook, I, I've been told this recently, and I'd like to hear your opinion on this. Ask it first. So, hey, yes. don't have this long fluff email. And then at the end of it, say, hey, do you mind coming on my podcast? Hey, we're looking for a donation for this. Start off with the ask. Be crystal clear. Hey, I know we have not spoken a year. I'm reaching out for this reason. And now, hey, I hope the wife and kids are well. I hope I saw you traveled here. Hope you enjoyed it. Do all that afterwards. Ask it first, and it comes across as just so much more genuine than if you say all this fluff, and then boom, here's my ask at the end. So good, so good, and so true, man. Because that's okay. the way you want to be I'm asked. Glad agree. I'm, I'm glad you agreed with that. But that's that's the way. I mean, you're you get hit up all the time for stuff. Like that's the way you want to be asked, right? right? Yeah. So I'm now honoring you. And even if you, by the way, if you don't know how to ask somebody. You, maybe you're brand new to a relationship or that connection, ask them how they want to be asked. I mean, even the idea of, Hey, like I want to be really clear, but I also want to be really honoring and intentional with you. Um, so I'm going to, I'm going to send you an email and I want to ask you for something, you know, you want me to be direct. I mean, what's the best way for me to engage with you? Like people, high capacity people love that. Right. Yeah, because often those people that you're trying to reach out to, they have so much going on that they don't want to deal with the fluff anyways. They'd rather just you be direct and they'll respect Get that to the more. point. Yeah. Yes, get great. to the point. That's great. I've heard you talk on this subject a little bit before. Um, I had Craig Ballantyne on the podcast before and he talked about it as the paradox of freedom. And it's generally the concept that nowadays there's just so much available to do for young leaders. For a guy like myself transitioning out of the NFL, there's so many options, which seems like a good thing, but then you're almost, you know, you just get so hesitant to do anything because there's so many options available. Can you just talk about the, the struggle that young leaders are facing in this space with so many options available and maybe any advice that you have for them? Sure. I think the stats right now, the data are perhaps, you know, up to 20 different seasons of assignment for the, the average 25 year old over their 40 year career. Um, and that's, you know, compare that to, to me, I'm going to have three or four, probably maybe five different seasons of assignment, different jobs, perhaps different industries. Um, my, you know, my parents and my grandparents, one, maybe two. And it was, get me to the weekend. Most people hated what they did Monday through Friday. But it was get to me, get to get me to retirement. Work is a means to an end. Um, I want to finally get to the point where I can do what I love, and that's no longer true. Every young leader now says integrated life. I want to actually be able to work on something that fulfills me, that feels like it's connected to passion, that gives me a greater purpose. And so the reality is, is that there's so much more opportunities, both for free agency but also for, I'm going to, I want to pursue the thing that is going to, going to actually like fulfill me the most. And I mean, I think that's a great thing. I don't think it's a bad thing. A lot of, a lot of employers are looking at people they're hiring 
and they're saying, well, they're disloyal and they're jumpers and they just kind of move based on the wind blowing. And if they get a better offer, they're, they're out of here in six months. Well, you know what? Yes. Because now that's the rules of engagement. And so you, first of all, if you're an employer or you have a team, you better create a culture that's so sticky that nobody wants to leave. Mm. And, or if they leave, they go, Oh my gosh, I, this, I've wrestled with this for days because I love this place and this team so much. Um, so the other, but the other side of that is as somebody who's now free agent and project generation minded, you have to get really dialed in on identity calling and assignment way more than any of us ever did. Right. And if you, you know, you got to know the, who you are, you got to know the, why you're here and the, why you're here is calling. And then the assignment is what you do. So the calling statement, you know, you mentioned mine influence influencers. Those are my riverbanks that I can now kind of float down the river. I've got, I've got banks on both sides, but you know, if I want to be in the speedboat or I want to be in the cruise ship, or I want to be in a, you know, a tugboat or a bass boat or a, you know, just going down on a tire tube. But those riverbanks are now, for me, they're options, right? Compared to assignment, again, is like so many times the job we have is then that thing that gets incorrectly wrapped up into our calling or identity. Mm-hmm. And we got to really dial this in because otherwise the 25-year-old is going to be schizophrenic, again, jumping from thing to thing without feeling like there's any connection between these seven different assignments I've had in my first 10 years of career. Right. Um, so, and, and, and going back to that, like, how do you figure that out? Um, I think in your twenties, especially, and even your early, early thirties, just say yes to a lot of stuff. The process, the reverse engine, reverse engineering of, of a lot of different assignments many times will give you evidence of what like calling looks like. And, and we put so much pressure on an 18 year old to say, you got to figure out your major, right? Cause that's like 40 years. Now you got to stay in that. And that's just so hard. So give yourself a lot of room in your twenties to, to say yes to a lot of things and let that be the experimentation in many ways season for you um, to figure out sort of, okay, this, this really does now line up where my strengths and passions can come together. That, that gives me a lot of peace. I'm no longer in my 20s, but I entered the workforce post-football in my early 30s. And so yeah. now at 36 years old, I have said yes to a lot of things. And now becomes the point where I've got to get better at saying no and being crystal clear about identity, calling, and assignment and saying, look, this doesn't fit under my umbrella of what I'm passionate about, where I'm gifted. I'm sorry. This is a great offer. I was told by a buddy recently, and I said, man, I just have all these great, I have all these good offers coming my way. It's hard to say no. He said, Eric, get used to it. They're all going to be good from here on out because you'll, you'll be able to just scrap the bad ones. A lot of those won't even come your way anymore. So they're all going to be good. You're going to be very selective or else it's your time that you're going to be giving up, which is your most valuable resource. And so that's, this has been a season of identity calling assignment in, in, I know my identity. I think I know my calling, but then what's that assignment or a couple assignments that I could truly try to be great at moving forward has been the tough thing. And that's where there's been a lot of trial and error lately. Yeah. And a a lot of, you know, this is, this may be helpful for some, some folks, a lot of, um, a lot of Christians, a lot of like people who, who have faith and say they follow Jesus and there there's this thing in them 
that they go, Brad, well, isn't my calling like to, to know God and make him known? Well, yes, but I think it's actually identity. And because the thing we have to wrestle with, with calling is, is it true for you? And so you and I both, like we would say part of our identity is to know God and make him known, right? To, you right. know, to, to actually like take our faith story and share it with other people that that's actually identity. So when we start talking about calling, it's that it's true to you. It has to be specific enough to you that it gives you then a sense of direction where you can, you can navigate some of these things of wrestling with multiple options, right? Of, oh, these are like all five of these are really good potential next seasons of assignment. Um, and how do you figure that out? Well, you start looking back again at the things you're really good at. Um, childhood, childhood almost always will, will, will give indication of, of calling breadcrumbs, right? Because when you're, when you're a kid, you do stuff without any sense of, I'm trying to impress somebody. I'm trying to like show I'm worthy. I'm, 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 I'm trying to set up for the next career. I'm trying to, you know, I'm trying to get ahead. Like you just do the stuff that you naturally are wired to do. Um, I mean, when I went to, when I went to first grade, Eric, Mrs. Weaver's class, uh, the first day of class, there was 30 kids in the class. I knew everybody's name by the end of the first day. By day two, I was doing trade deals like in the cafeteria. That's awesome. And, and nobody said, no, my parents or, you know, no, 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 no friends said, Brad, now what, make sure when you get to first grade, like you're, you know, you're dialed in on being a connector. Like I just did it. And so that's, that's a breadcrumb for people when, the, when you start thinking about, well, what am I supposed to really do with my life? Uh, and it'll always show up easily in your childhood. Man, that is so good. And, and I haven't heard it put like that. I, I appreciate you sharing that. Uh, I hope the listeners appreciate that as much as I just did. And as you we were talking, uh, I was trying to stay engaged and not just think back to my childhood and how it impacted. Yeah. But all I what was yours, to- man? What was your childhood like? So I was just so into sports. It was multiple sports in different seasons. You know, every season was at least one sport, sometimes two. God bless my parents for just driving me all over the west side of Cincinnati for golf, for basketball, football, baseball, volleyball, bowling, whatever my buddies were doing, I wanted to do as well. But one of my biggest things is I've always hated to leave people out. Like that's one, Mm -hmm. you can ask my wife to this day, one of our pain points of marriage is, hey, we're having a couple over for dinner. Well, so-and-so will feel bad. So-and-so will feel bad. Okay, now we have 12 people at the house. Well, you know what? We built this house so that we could host people and show others the love of Christ through a nice house. And I had to read some of our house looks nothing like Dave Ramsey. It's probably a third of the size, if that, but <laughs> yeah. reading Dave Ramsey talk about his home and having peace with building a nice house gave me some peace. I, I grew up with a, a very blue collar family. So that's impacted some financial decisions, some anxiety I have about money and expenditures mm-hmm. and all of that. But all that being said, obsessed with competing growing up, and, and then just love being around people, love to invite people to everything, get everyone together. Let's all have fun. And so kind of reminds me a little bit of what's going on in my life now. Yeah. And those are those again, those are all breadcrumbs um, that are really important. So and it, it, it sometimes it in terms of, of whether it's identity or calling, you know, like you can navigate, and figure that out. But this idea of you're a host. Like you, you love hospitality. You love including people. There's a spirit for you that, that you are, I I wouldn't, I mean, maybe it's a rescuer. Like there's this, there's this spirit of you. I'm guessing that 
you always thought about the kid on the playground who wasn't in the game and you would, you would make sure they were in, right? That's a rescuer. Like that's DNA in you that is a rescuer. Like you want to make sure, like, like you said, people don't get left out. Well, that's, that's all like breadcrumbs in your calling and the, your sense of, of direction, purpose, your why. And you've, you've, sometimes it gets expressed in your assignment, but sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes it shows up in hobbies. Right. Sometimes it shows up in just like you're a neighbor. You're, so we don't want to put so much pressure on a calling statement that it actually is only then validated through a job because you have to give again yourself room to feel like this is God breathed into you. That's now going to get expressed through you in multiple ways to people that are around you. Um, so again, don't put so much pressure if you're wrestling with this, like, oh, it's got to be in the job. And if I don't find that job that I can live out all these things. No, that's, I mean, if it, if that happens, awesome. Right. But most of the time it doesn't. Um, but you still have those things in you that have to be released. And I think why, why so many people are frustrated in their life is they, they don't feel released to actually release those things that are in them. And and that man, that is, I mean, so many midlife crises, especially for men, are that they finally they finally start to discover calling, but then they can't do anything about it mm. because they've got you know a situation, or they got three mortgages, or they've got four car payments, or like whatever. Now, don't you got to be faithful to what God's put in your hands? Um, but so many midlife crises, I think, are because. You finally discovered it, uh, but you can't really do much about it. And if that's true for you, you know, knowing it is half the battle and then being aware of it, but then also starting to now just maybe move the dial a little bit and start to have some outlets, right? Where you can actually express some of those things that are truest about you. Again, that were true when you were a kid or when you were in middle school or the, the days when you didn't have anything to steward as, or as much to steward. And so would the way to prevent a midlife crisis, would that be to do a self-awareness, self-discovery journey earlier in life then? Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, again, what data has to go into the equation as much as possible, right? So you're doing as many self-awareness tests, personality tests, like you're, you're, you're getting a life coach, you know, you're, you're doing a life plan. Um, and there's a lot of people these days that are really good at life plans. And, and what is a life plan? It's just, it's, it's somebody else from that is going to facilitate for you actually uncovering a lot of things that are true about you. And, you know, if you've got a family, like there are people who do life plans for families and, um, you're going to ask the people closest to you, Hey, what's true about me that I'm not even aware of? And they'll go, Oh, every time we're at dinner with 15 people, you're always the one that pulls out the story of somebody at the table who's not talking, right? And you're like, what? I do that? Really? Like, And they go, oh my gosh, you do it all the time. And you go, I don't really, I didn't even realize that because what's true about you, right? The things in you, like you think everybody else does them. That's the way I operate. Like I think, well, don't, doesn't everybody else want to know everybody's name in first grade? No, Brad, that's weird, right? It's a little awkward, right? Um, so you got to like ask the people around you, hey, tell me something about me that I may not be aware of. So because there are blind spots 
that are healthy. They're also blind spots that are toxic, uh, but they're blind spots. So you, you, you've got to do the hard work. This is, this is when, this is like leadership 401. The hard work of leadership at the highest levels is that you're now doing the hard work of, of becoming more self-aware and actually getting better. And, and compared to settling, because most of us, they, we just settle at a certain point. Oh, I'm 32, Brad. I mean, I don't have a shot anymore. Like I'm, I'm in this, I'm in this dead end accounting job. I make a ton of money, but I really don't like, it doesn't, it's not really me. Uh, and you just think, well, I, like, that's it. Right. I just go to work and then I might have some kids and have a house and maybe I will go on vacation and have some fun memories, but that's kind of it. Right. Like maybe, but maybe there's something more. Man, that was, that was excellent to listen to. I, I, I am better for hearing that. I, Truly appreciate you sharing all of that and just incredible wisdom. And, and that was fun to do. That was fun to kind of think about and something I will continue to think about. And I, I've become obsessed and I know I drive my wife nuts with this, but I've become obsessed with figuring out what my blind spots are. Some of that is I'm a people pleaser and I want my wife who may, one of her strong suits may not be having confrontational conversations or opening yeah. up about things. I want her to constantly feel like she can have those conversations and tell me where I'm screwing up as a dad. Tell me where I've ticked you off. Tell me where I've fallen short. And I kind of drive her nuts because it was a weekly check-in. Now it's a bi-weekly or every other week check-in, but I've become obsessed with trying to find those blind spots. But a lot of that comes from when you're in an NFL facility, every single day, they'll tell you exactly what you're doing wrong. They'll tell you where you look, what body parts look fat or out of shape. I mean, right. every single day, they'll tell you all of that. Hey, why, why you got a long, why the long face today? Everything okay at home? You know, it's, it's quick too. And so I don't like to play games. I want to know where my blind spots are. I want to know where I'm falling short. And so uh, being able to do that with yourself is, is great for, for, for your future, for not hitting that midlife crisis. Well, and you, man, you've been in the, you've been in the, the Petri dish of what great feedback cultures look like. I mean, a sports team, and especially at the highest level of the NFL, you're getting feedback all the time, like you said, very specific. And right. uh, this, this is, this for, for leaders, like this is what people are craving right now. Now you got to figure out how to do it well, but the idea that you can, you can constantly be, be getting better because people around you are holding you accountable and you're giving permission to the people who are around you to actually speak truth back into you. Now you had no choice right? In an, in an NFL locker room. You had no choice. It's just the way it is. But most, most companies, most nonprofits, most churches, most, most teams, that's not the way it rolls. People are like, wait, it's so unclear. Like, how do I know? And so a good leader is actually is always being really intentional about both giving feedback to, to other people, but also like craving it. Hey, you got to tell me what I'm doing that's making you upset. You got to tell me where, what have I said this past week that made you uncomfortable? You know, where are the things that I, what are the things I do that drive you crazy that, that I'm not even aware of? And when you, when you ask that to people you pay or who work for you the first time, right? They're like, oh, you're amazing. You're the right. best leader ever. Nothing. And then like 10 times later, they finally might say, well, there was this one thing. And, and, but you have to, you have to fight for that, fight for feedback, fight for feedback, fight for feedback. Cause otherwise it, people won't give it. And the uncomfortableness is not normal, but it should be. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, because you grow through times of being uncomfortable. And so you should crave those moments in their life, even though they're not fun. You should. Yeah, they hurt. Yeah. Yep. Let's get to some recurring questions. And I got one fun one before then. It would be fun for me to ask only because it's a lifelong goal. So one of my greatest passion, I'll say passions, that's not a talent, is uh, singing on stage with country music artists. It, I don't, it's not karaoke because I'm with a band. Like everyone would be like, oh, you like the karaoke. I don't like the karaoke. Right. I don't like to go to a karaoke bar. I like the rush of being on a stage and I like making my buddies look really good that allow me to sing. He's from Oklahoma. Do you have a connection with Toby Keith for me? I, well, I do actually, because he's a big OU fan. Right. So, and I'm buddies with uh, several of the folks in the athletic department. So we can make that happen. Okay. So I, my go-to song is should have been a cowboy. <laughs> I'm saying it in front of what's the, one time at, a, at the taste of Buffalo and in, in, uh, taste of country in Buffalo. Um, there was 20 something thousand people there. So that was probably my biggest one, but I'm saying it on stages from Hawaii to South Florida and Key West. So uh, in listen, between. Listen, I mean, the best way to find Toby Keith from what I understand is to go to Norman, Oklahoma. Okay. Uh, and every day, Bob Stoops, former Oklahoma coach yep. and Toby Keith are out there with their foursome and they, you know, it's, it's routine. It's like clockwork pretty much every day at the same course, they are getting in 18 holes. So that may be the best way is just uh, join the foursome. Yeah. I'll have to, um, I'll have to see if my country club can make a call out there and get me on that course. Maybe they can make it happen. All right. I'm, I'm interested to hear uh, your answers to these recurring questions besides one of your own. Do you have a favorite book or in, and I know you're so well read. So at times I'll ask what's your favorite book to gift? Well, I will say, I mean, I'll go spiritual on you and that spiritual leadership um, by Oswald Sanders is one of my favorites of all time. And it's, it's, you know, it is leadership book, but it's also like, you know, as a man or woman of God, like, how do I live this out? So I will say that one. Great answer. What role does your faith play in your life? And, and I know that you're a man of faith and you live it out, but, but what role does it play in your life? Well, I mean, it's the foundation, you know, it really is identity. It's the, it's the, who I am. Um, I mean, I've been walking with Jesus for a long time since I was probably seven. Uh, at some point back in the, you know, the early church days, going to church and saying yes and getting baptized. I don't know when the moment was, but um, I would say this at this point in the game for me, um, the, the, the role of that is, is it, it, it actually, it fuels everything. So every decision, um, every conversation, um, every interaction, every speaking opportunity, again, whether I'm in front of like a Christian audience or a non-Christian audience or doesn't matter. Like I'm still going to walk in and never lose that sense of identity. Um, and I'll tell you this, Eric, you know, this is true. People are starving for it actually. Mm. Like as long as they know that, that I'm being authentic, they're, they're starving to, to, to see like the hope in me. And, um, you know, I might have to, might have to, might have to, to position it in a way that, that connects to them, but people are starving for hope and they're starving for something bigger than themselves. So I would say at this point in the game in culture, uh, there's a lot, there's really a lot of interest and hunger for conversations that matter. And so I'm, I'm way more bullish even now than I may have been my entire life on actually like being a connector to people around things that matter to me. It's a great answer. What was your first car? 
Oh gosh. I think it was a, a the, the car I, well, I, I learned how to drive on a tractor and also in a, in a beat up uh, farm truck. That was a, you know, that was a stick shift. Yeah. Uh, my first car at 16 was an 84 Monte Carlo. Nice. So it was, it was, it was pretty gangster. And, um, you know, it, it got the attention of, of a lot of the, uh, of the friends in high school at that point. Yeah. That's a good one. What's your favorite restaurant? Oh gosh. Well, I would say any of the Ford fry restaurants, if you're, if if you're an Atlanta person and I'm going to go, I'm going to go Homer here. Um, but any of Ford fries restaurants in the Atlanta area, I mean, Superica is might be up there for me. I'm a Mexican fan. So, but if you, if you come to Atlanta, Google search Ford fry, uh, he's got probably 10 or 12 restaurants now in the city of Atlanta. I mean, JT's Kitchen is also one of my favorites right there in Midtown. So I'll, I'll go Homer and, and stick with the Atlanta area. Have you been to Buffalo before? I've been one time to Buffalo. Did you get wings? Uh, I did, but I don't remember where. And it okay. probably wasn't the correct place to get them. No, probably not. But um, we'll, we'll see you in the right direction next time. All right. The Come last on, one listen, I need, I need coaching on that one. Yep. We'll get you, we'll get you right. All right. This is what's next with Eric Wood. I want to know what's next for Brad Loman. What's coming down the line for you? Well, I've, I'm supposed to be turning in a book that was like due five years ago. <laughs> so I would say what's next, but it's also what's, what's now, but it's also what was then. Um, so I'm, I'm thinking about this, this whole, actually what we were talking about with connection and the power of who, you know, who you're around actually is, is the, you know, the fuel for who you become. So that's the, that's getting stirred up in the soup right now. And I need to, I need to actually get more intentional about turning in the manuscript, but uh, that is definitely on the, like on the burner. I can't wait to read that. And I'll say this, since my career ended and the more I've been around people that God has exposed me to, the more it's become crystal clear to me that you become the average of the five people you spend the most time with. And I heard it said recently um, by a podcast guest, David Mulligetta, who's top agent in the world right now uh, and just got to Sean Watson, that monster deal with the Browns. But your, your network is more powerful than your net worth. And nowadays you have the, the opportunity to expose yourself to so many people where Brad Loman, it could be in your top five of the people you spend the most time with just exposing yourself to his podcast, to his books. And it's just a rare time right now that you can do those types of things. You do need that human interaction. But to me, since this career transition happened, and even looking back on my career, you know, I, I say it often in an NFL locker room. Yes, you're surrounded by all NFL football players. If you're the average of five, so be it. But you know what? I only play with a few Hall of Famers that are either in it or will be. Mm. Those guys act a little different. They, they train a little different. They eat different. I had T.O. on my podcast. He never ate a chicken wing in Buffalo. I said, man, that's surprising. I thought all... Uh, I thought I thought you love chicken wings. You know, you you you've, you've like promoted chicken wing companies. You said, yeah, I wasn't there to eat chicken. I was like, oh, that's good. And, mm. and it, but they they're uncomfortable to be around. And I just think about even throughout my career, even college, like who was I hanging around, and how did that influence everything that I do? And so for me, surrounding myself with other men that have the same values as me, passions as me hanging out with guys that are better at golf than me. Like those are all things that I find and I, and I see fruit from that in my life. So I I cannot wait to dig in on that. 
And I mean, just to piggyback, yes and amen on what you just said, the best, again, high capacity people always are around people who are better than them. Right. And they because they pull them to a new level of a standard of excellence. And, you know, you, it doesn't matter it, whether it's investments or it's, it's golf or it's family or it's faith or it's, Hey, I'm trying to like scale my organization or, you know, I'm a CEO of a $10 million company. I need to be around a CEO of a $50 million company. But you, what we, what we do so many times, Eric, is we, we, we think, well, I've got to go find the best in the world and I've got to like be mentored by them, you know, weekly in person. It's like, that's not even possible. So do learn from those people, but then find some people around you who are a few steps ahead of you, who are going to give you really practical advice that is going to help you because they're still close enough to where you are that it actually connects. And those people are always like, Hey, I didn't even, I didn't even know anybody knew I existed, you know? So they're way more uh, approachable, gettable, connected to than sometimes the people that we read or we listen to, and we still want to learn from them. But that idea that, no, find somebody around you that's just a few steps ahead of you because they're going to be the ones that are going to help you the most and probably in person. Yeah, you're exactly right. Brad, I cannot thank you enough for your time. So much fun, man. For what you've already in a short time of knowing you personally, what you've poured into me already, what I've been able to learn from you, keep being what you are. And that's a joy, a blessing, a connector of people. You've influenced me in this short time that we've known each other. And I can't wait to see um, what we can do together, how I can serve you moving forward. And I just look forward to what's ahead for both of us, brother. Let's go, man. What's next? And then what's the book title again coming out in October? Uh, Tackle what's next. Tackle what's next. I want it. Let's go. What's next was taken. Apparently that was released in like the last year and a half. And apparently that's not a good idea to release a book with the same title as, and I think it sold a few copies too. So good for them for, well, good job on them for getting over their imposter syndrome first and get it out there first. So we, we used a little pun on football to create tackle what's next. Yeah, that works. It actually, it actually has a better ring, I think. So I like it. I appreciate that. Thanks, Brad. You're the best, man. Thanks. This episode is also brought to you by Punched Energy Chews, and these have become a favorite product of mine for energy and fitness. They use a patented formula with tons of scientific studies, and they start with pure green Arabica coffee bean caffeine. It improves your physical and mental performance, increases your metabolism, helps burn calories and body fat, and they also help boost your immunity, which is very important at this time because they're a great source of vitamin C. They're also ultra low glycemic, no spikes, no bounces, and no crashes. What you're going to do is go to punchedenergy.com, use code ericwood20 for 20% off. Give them a try. Link in the show notes.